This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. No my hari mai kiora tanakwe free fm 89.0 independent community media welcome to cosmopolitan news and views mel driscoll and myself between now and two o'clock column comment the opinion is mine this week we farewell eliza well-known hamilton artist and she used to work at the Hamilton Museum. Eliza left Hamilton for Melbourne today. Thanks, Eliza, for your friendship over the last couple of years. And thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. Remember her um, gallery over in Frankton? Another sad farewell and part of the Rainbow community and also gay icon. We lost Georgina Beyer, born in 1957 and died 2023. Yes, Georgina Beyer died this week. I remember doing an interview with Mel and myself last year, just after the unveiling of the Dame Hilda Ross statue. She was having lunch with our friend Margaret. Former mayor of Hamilton at the time. So farewell, Georgina. Well, on this sad note, crime is terrible in the city at the present moment. We have had reports of uh, people escaping from one town to another. A woman was caught in Cambridge. They spiked her tyres after doing some crime in Tiamutu. We've had people driving on the wrong side of the road, driving on footpaths to escape the police. Sadly, we need people, we need police in the city. On the beat during the day, just to give some hope to our us people that crime doesn't pay. And of course, I personally saw a person run out of a shop in town this week on Bryce Street. And he ran, he got into a car and escaped. I hope those shop owners did ring the police. So crime is on the rise here in Waikato and hopefully something will be done in the future. Anyway, March 12, 2022, it is day 71. Sorry, it's 23 actually. That was a mistake. 2023. Oh, day 71, 294. What a way to start. And of course, it is time to take a look at our history this day. Carly Simon, number one New Zealand this day, 1973, You're So Vain. He walked into the party. Well, it was on this day in 1933, 90 years ago today. That's the debut of Franklin D. Roosevelt and his fireside chats as American President, FDR, 
talked about the depression recovery, programming relief, recovery and reform, relief for the unemployed, plus legislation on um, on finance and communication. And back in 1933, Ruby Keeler, 42nd Street.
News and views. Three of them, eighty-nine point zero. Independent community media. Bruce God, Mel Driscoll, and guests throughout the afternoon between now and two o'clock. Forty-second Street. The late Ruby Keeler. Well, nineteen forty-six. Seventy-six years ago today. Actress, singer, dancer Liza Minnelli was uh, born. The daughter of Judy Garland and Vincent Minnelli. Um, Liza Minnelli was born in Los Angeles. Awards like Oscars for Cabaret in 1972, Tony Awards and Emmy Awards. She's 76 today from 1989. The great Liza Minnelli.
3FM 89.0, independent community media, the theme from the television series from the 70s, The Adventures of Black Beauty. The South Bank Orchestra, Losing My Mind, Liza Minnelli, celebrating her 76th birthday today. Good afternoon, Mel. Good afternoon, and to Alan Hulse, our guest today, one who's well known in association with uh, employment and what can go wrong. Three years ago, Alan, you took up an invitation to speak at a gathering as guest of the Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Services. How did it work out? Um, thank you for the invite here today. Um, it was really good to be invited to speak at the um, the Birmingham Conference of ACAS in the UK, and it was in March 2019, so pre-COVID, and ACAS is, was a an organisation that I'd been interested in for a number of years and I'd, in my trips to the UK I had four times previously met with the director of ACAS in Birmingham and that's a, a man called um, Malcolm Boswell so he was the director, he's due to retire later this month but he invited me to be a guest speaker at the ACAS National Conference in Birmingham in um, March 2019. It was a really good opportunity and I um, was pleased to take it up and I guess I talked to him and the um, conference delegates about workplace bullying and the way New Zealand deals with bullying and, and in particular, I talked about how I really liked the way the they handle um, employment resolutions um, matters in the UK. So they, ACAS is like the, the fence at the top of the cliff. In New Zealand, we wait till the person's at the bottom of the cliff and we try to put the pieces back together. So I was really interested in talking to them more about how they actually revo resolve the issues before they manifest. You identified something there, Alan, that you thought New Zealand could benefit by copying? Absolutely, and I've been having conversations um, with the Minister. In fact, I met with the then Minister of Workplace Relations and Safety, Ian Lees Galloway. I met with him in Parliament in February 2019, the month before I went over, and I'd been talking with him and his predecessors about why can't we implement something in New Zealand that's similar to what they've tried and proven in the United Kingdom. With a saving, you believe? Well, it's not just what I believe. They've done the research and they've found for every one pound they invest in ACAS and that early resolution process, for every one pound they invest, the UK, UK economy benefit by 12 pound. With, um, with workplace bullying, you talked about Ian Lees Galloway. Did you discuss... The MPs, one MP, Labour MP, got um, got demoted for a while after alleged workplace bullying in their own office. Yeah, and like I've, when, when the bullying occurred in Parliament, and they there was a um, 
an investigation done by um, Debbie Francis into bullying in Parliament. And I can tell you that when that report came out that found that there was bullying in Parliament, I was um, interviewed by by the TV channels. I was on TV3 um, AM show. I was on a number of radio shows and I was quoted in multiple print media about that. And, and, and my viewers, we know that there is bullying in Parliament. We know there's bullying in almost every government agency in the land. My response is that the bullying can't stop until it's actually addressed. So somebody's got to be held accountable. And currently, nobody is being held accountable for the bullying. So we talk about it a lot now, but there's no ability to address the bullying and hold people accountable. And that's an argument that I'm still having, which is why ACAS's solution, and I'll talk about more about how there has been some change because of my visit to the UK. You seek something to be uh, introduced to Parliament to refocus that area that you say is neglected, overlooked. Yeah, and to be honest, um, Mel, we've actually got legislation for the worst cases of bullying. So if somebody is badly bullied and they suffer serious psychological harm and or attempt suicide or commit suicide, our health and safety regulator, WorkSafe New Zealand, already has the ability to prosecute the employer. Now, that's under the Health and Safety at Work Act that was passed um, in 2015. There's not been one case of WorkSafe prosecuting an employer, not one. And I can tell you that I've taken at least a dozen cases that I believe could have and should have been prosecuted by WorkSafe to them with evidence of the bullying and evidence of the harm. They just won't even look at prosecuting. And and to me, that's sending the wrong signal. If you, uh, They talk, and, and when I say they, I'm talking about um, the minister and WorkSafe. They say, well, we're going to educate people so that they don't bully. And I say, well... That's what we used to do in New Zealand with um, drunk driving and speeding. And we used to have a road toll of over 800. The government realised about 30 years ago that they needed to do something. So they they clamped down and they prosecuted drunk drivers and they prosecuted speeders. And the road toll is now under 400, still too high. But it's half of what it was, and we've probably got more than twice the vehicle mileage being travelled. So you you can't just have education without prosecution. So I'd refer to it as the carrot and the stick. So the education's the carrot. If you don't have a stick, there are people that will always push the boundaries and they'll break the law. Of course, when we first heard of Alan Hulse, you were connected with the Hamilton City Council. You alleged some bullying within the Hamilton City Council. Do you know to this day, about five or six years on, that there is bullying continues within the Hamilton City Council? 
And yeah, I do, Bruce. Sadly, I've got four cases, client cases, currently at the Employment Relations Authority waiting to be heard. So nothing's changed. And I find that really sad because nine years ago, and it was nine years ago that my issues were with the um, Hamilton City Council. So I've already passed my ninth anniversary and nothing's changed. And that makes me feel incredibly sad because there's been multiple, multiple um, articles in the media. There's been a general acceptance throughout New Zealand that bullying is bad. It gets talked about every single week in this country and some area, but there's still no accountability and there's no consequence for the bullies or for the employer that enables that bullying to continue. What, so, ha- yeah, what happens in UK when it comes to bullying within, say, the government departments over in England? What happens in the UK? Well, what they do is they intervene. So the big thing is, and this is where ACAS is really important, so if if you were just hypothetically say you are an employee of Hamilton City Council and you believed you were being bullied, you'd pick the phone up and you'd phone up ACAS. Now, they get more than a million phone calls a year. You phone them up, you say what, how you've been treated and how you feel. They will talk it through with you. And if they believe that there's substance to what you're saying, they will then find out who your employer is and they will phone up your employer and say, I understand you've got this person working for you and they have been treated badly. We would like to meet with you. And, and explain how this matter could and should be resolved. So we're really keen to um, work with you and, and resolve this matter. So they can intervene, come in and to assist, because often the employer doesn't know that what they're doing is wrong. So they can have somebody with authority, which is ACAS, come in and say, hey, what you're doing here is not appropriate this is what you should do. So they will intervene and potentially stop the bullying if if it is bullying. Because you say that's not common practice in New Zealand, is it a bit pointless to have the firm that you do, for instance, Culture Safe New Zealand, if, if you don't feel that you achieve what you should? Well, Culture Safe does achieve it, but we achieve it by basically publicly talking about the employer that's bullying. We we are the only mechanism to cause some kind of accountability because what we do, we raise the concerns with the employer. The employer doesn't listen to us. They don't listen to anybody. So there's no one in a position of authority that will come in and say what you're doing is wrong. Now, I'm not going to talk about your age, Mel, but... You and I can probably both remember when the Department of Labor would intervene in any matter related to employment. I do remember it. Why was it abandoned? I think it happened um, back in the days of Rogernomics where they changed the way New Zealand operated and, and they basically did a number of things. They they got they tried to privatise public um, 
organisations like labour departments. So what they would do is say that it is not your role to intervene in an employment situation. Now, it kind of happened by osmosis. So there wasn't a day where they just said, you're not going to get directly involved. But over a, a period of time, it did evolve that way. Now, Labor Department inspectorates still will intervene in matters involving um, holiday pay and, and other issues to do with employment issues. But this area of bullying is one where the Labor Department inspectorate don't handle MB itself is, so they effectively split the Department of Labor into labor inspectorate, so there's parts still doing things there. There's work safe that are involved in um, maintaining health and safety, but focus solely on physical harm. And then you've got MB that's sitting there that um, they've got MB Mediation Services, so MB is the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, and they do mediations, but the mediations aren't like what AKS does. They're, they're, um, they're voluntary, and mediation's just the process where technically the employer and the employee go to resolve issues, but it doesn't actually work like that in bullying cases, what happens in mediation is a um, confidential without prejudice process where what generally happens is um, the employer exerts more pressure on the employee and often, and particularly in bullying cases, the employee ends up resigning with some form of consideration like maybe a few dollars. Um, and they lose their jobs. So not a, not a good outcome. And, and it's because because there was an early intervention, which was what you get from ACAS, the relationship deteriorates and the mental health of the bullied worker deteriorates. You alluded before to suicide linked, you suggest, with employment issues? Yeah, absolutely. And we have now got to the point where Culture Safe's been around for nine years. We've um, we've had more than a 1,000 clients. In fact, I think the figure's about 1,200 now. And w- what we did last year, we did a, a survey of our clients, current and former, and we got a good representative group. So I think about 80% of those surveyed completed the survey. Now, what the survey results showed, and it's frightening, it showed that when our clients engaged our services, 89% of our clients were in the mental health system by the time they contacted us. Um, They were suffering from either anxiety, depression, and or had PTSD. 50% of them had experienced suicide ideation, 9% 9% had attempted suicide. So if you extrapolate 9% over 1,200, you come up with a figure of about a, about 100 clients that we've represented have actually attempted suicide because of the bullying. Alan, also, is there cases of blackmail where the employer tries to stop the employee taking action and uses all forms of blackmail? 
Yeah, and, and it happens probably in about 75% of the cases. Um, employees are threatened that they won't get another job. They're threatened that if, if they don't take whatever they're offered, that um, that they will end up having to pay the employer money. And, and there's a thing that they call a call to bank offer now, the way that works, and, and I actually call it blackmail, so this is part of the legal process. So if your employer says to you, we don't want you here anymore and we, we don't want you here because you've caused trouble, you've complained about being bullied, we don't want you for that reason, we will give you $7,500 and you go, well, no, I'm not going to accept $7,500 because I want my job. It's my job. It's my career. I've, I've trained and I've got a degree. I'm, I need my job. And in this case, say hypothetically, I'm a teacher. I can say, well, my teaching job pays me 80000 a year. 7500 is it going to help me? And what they will say is we will call the bank that offer and if you take us to the Employment Relations Authority and you don't win more than $7,500, you have to pay our legal fees. And also taking this um, blackmail to the extreme, have you heard of any cases of some of these employers using blackmail for sex? Um. No, I haven't, and, and um, well, I've heard of probably one or two cases, but um, the, the, I think what people don't understand, and, and you couldn't know unless I told you, most of our clients work for government departments or agency or taxpayer-funded organisations like non-government um, organisations, NGOs, so they're taxpayer-funded. The majority of our clients are taxpayer-funded or ratepayer-funded. Now, that kind of behaviour that you're talking about, Bruce, tends to not happen in those organisations because they do understand sexual harassment and that'll set a red flag off. And, and so we don't get that. I know that it happens a lot in hospitality like anecdotally i know that 80 percent of people who work in hospitality and it's a high ratio of women 80 percent have experienced um, sexual harassment 80 percent it's frightening yet you suggest there's progress on this front there's no progress in anywhere uh, sexual harassment doesn't happen in the areas that where the bullying that we deal with happens. So I don't believe there's any progress anywhere to reduce the incidence of sexual harassment and um, workplace bullying. But I think there's awareness by perpetrators around sexual harassment because there have been some high-profile cases. So if you're deemed to be a... Um, sexual predator, that you're more likely to hit the headlines. Well, many organisations have, in that connection, the headlines. The headlines that draw attention to the fact that women, commonly, have complained against a single person within a larger organisation 
and have claimed that the organisation, when presented with the allegations, was loath to involve themselves, whether it be a church, a firm, a government department or an education facility. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I've been involved in cases in Fire Emergency New Zealand and its predecessor, the New Zealand Fire Service, and there have been uh, multiple cases in public, very public, about sexual harassment and and worse. Um, and then, of course, there was the the case in the law firm in Wellington with Russell McVeigh, where there was... Um, sexual assaults that were apparently covered up by um, by the firm itself and by the Law Society and that's really public and the back in the days and I haven't seen either of you since Me Too <laughs> so during Me Too it was worldwide, it started in America where there were the high profile cases of Harvey Weinstein and um, and Epstein, and um, that in New Zealand we had a um, high-profile whistleblower, a young woman called Olivia Wensley. Now, Olivia Wensley was uh, a guest at the conference that we ran in Wellington in October 2018. So she talked about what she experienced. She is a whistleblower. She's left the legal industry forever because of what occurred but she um, was the whistleblower so that that helped create an awareness that so we've got a high level of awareness what I don't see happening is um, a significant re reduction in the behaviours and that's the sexual harassment and the um, workplace bullying but sexual harassment is um has been dealt with a lot by a, a, an investigative journalist called Alison Mao. Now, she, I see her as the sexual harassment, sexual assault equivalent of culture safe in myself. So I see myself dealing a lot with the um, workplace bullying and Alison in a different way but by public exposure, dealing with with the um, sexual harassment side, and you mentioned before, Mel, that predominantly female sexually harassed. I've, I can tell you I've, I've represented males that have been sexually harassed and assaulted as well, but they wouldn't make... The sexual harassment would probably make up 5% of our cases whereas workplace bullying will make up 90%, and the other 5% is probably related more to um, unjustified dismissals for reasons that don't involve bullying or sexual harassment. One of the most famous cases, of course, was um, with uh, former MP Jamie Lee Ross. You've read all the stories about that. He claimed mental health issues, etc., etc., and his interactions with Simon Bridges, that... That was a bit of workplace bullying too. Ah, uh, Parliament is notorious for bullying, and and Jamie Lee Ross, and, and you're right, he had a an affair. He was married, and he had a, an affair with a um, colleague from Invercargill, if I remember. 
And then, you're right, when it turned to custody, he claimed mental health issues. And, and to be fair, he probably was experiencing mental health issues because, um, you know, when people are caught out, there's the pressure goes on, relationships end, and, and, and you know, people struggle. But, but I guess what he was involved with is part of human nature as well because... I think throughout history, in fact, didn't Adam and Eve get involved in something way back in the yeah. early days? So, so that's kind of always going to happen. Um, the bullying is just kind of a little bit different to that. One of the things, and um, you know, the most recent allegations of bullying was by uh, the former Hamilton um, West MP, who resigned. Um, late last year and caused the by-election and he complained about being bullied by, you know, an MP and the Prime Minister. So it, it's it's something that's really big and it's something that I'm aware happens in a lot of areas. You're, you work this 24-7. How's your own health, Alan? Um, well, I suggested to my doctor about five or six years ago that I was invincible, and she kind of looked at me and she said, um, um, no, you're not, Alan. And she said to me at that time, because the last times I was talking to you, I was really fit and I was running half marathons and marathons and I was paddling in Wakarama and dragon boating. So my last um, marathon was in May 2016. I basically haven't run since then. I've paddled, I think, that year, but then stopped. So my health, to get to the point, my doctor said I either had to lose weight and exercise or take medication. I said, I'll take medication because that'll enable me to keep going. So how's my health? Um, probably um, without the medication, I probably wouldn't even be here, Bruce. Um but but no, it's it's bad for my health. But I can tell you that I um I never work less than eighty hours a week. Never. I have had probably ten complete days off since the twenty third of January two thousand and seventeen. Symptoms of typically a person who aggrieved, worried about holding their job, might commit themselves to the extra hours, the tension, the work, the risk and suffer workplace bullying. Yeah, and, and the reason why I do the hours that I do is that even after nine years, there's nobody else in this country doing what I do. And I find that just almost incomprehensible that that, that nobody else is... that One, understands, and two, is willing to... Um, Put themselves in the place that I am, and I can tell you the reason they don't do it because they don't make any money. Now, I probably earn less. Well, I know I earn less than any worker in the land because I am surviving on my superannuation. That's it. Now, who would work eighty plus hours a week for nothing? And the reason I do it is and. And the hope, and I'm still optimistic, that government, one government will, or one political party will decide to stop 
allowing the spilling to continue. So yep. I'm waiting for somebody to go, we're going to fix this problem. We don't like the fact that we're second worst in the developed world for bullying, yep. that one in five workers is bullied, that we have a mental health system in crisis, that we have a suicide rate that's embarrassing. And the worst thing for me, and this is a part where I try to get politicians to listen to and understand, we've got flight from this country of some of our most competent professional people, and I'm talking about health in particular, education, and in a lot of these areas, we have people leaving this country not because of the wage is they're getting, they're leaving because of the way they're being treated, and they're being replaced by people from countries who are desperate to get to New Zealand because they think we have a, a kind, caring um, country, and, and they come to this country, and I'll talk in particular about um, nursing, because I know a lot about nursing. We have nurses from the Philippines and India and other countries who come to this country thinking they'll be treated properly, and they come to this country and they're treated often, not always, because there are good employers, and I must say that, there are good, good employers and there's good managers, but I can tell you that I know of places in this country where there are nurses that have come from India and the Philippines that are treated abysmally and can't leave and they can't complain because of their visa status. So because they're vulnerable, they put up with conduct that they wouldn't even put up with in their own country, but they come to this country and part of the deal often is they're sponsored from back home to come to New Zealand and they're required to send money back. Now, that's the same as the um, RSV workers that work in the orchards and that. They're sponsored to come here. If they complain, if they get sent back, it's not only... They're in trouble when they get home because they've disgraced their families. Borrowed uh, money. Yep, yep, yep. They're, they're in a horrible situation. And at any one time in this country, there are thousands of migrant workers that are in that situation. You talk about the health service. I think Scotland's health service is in crisis too. And um, SNP um, leadership candidate told uh, Humsa Yusuf has just trying to sort it out like our own health ministers are trying. Yeah, well, when you say the our health minister is, well, no, they're not. I've got a case that involves a, a um, health worker that was at the um, Tarong Hospital. I can tell you, and I can tell you because I've got the Official Information Act um, responses, $686,000 paid to law, external lawyers to fight a bullying case against a, a woman that was um, headhunted from South Africa to New Zealand. She hasn't been able to work in her profession for eight years. So we've got shortages across the land for the work that she did in radiology. We've got people dying because she can't work. And our health minister has paid eight hundred I mean six hundred and eighty six thousand dollars of taxpayer funds to lawyers to fight that poor woman. Now 
don't tell me that our health minister is trying because while like condoning the bullying and allowing it to continue, they're not trying. People are, we've got flight from this country of health professionals on a massive scale and I can understand they've got problems in Scotland and they've got problems in other parts of the world but there are places in the world that are actually soaking up our trained health professionals in Australia is just three hours across the ditch and I could tell you of dozens of people I know that have left the health industry for Australia that would be here if it wasn't for the bullying. Is that Andrew Little or Yasha Verrill um, connected with this case? Uh, Andrew Little was, but we've got a new health minister now, I believe. Yep. Uh, she is She is a medical doctor, so um, I, I think Andrew Little was a bit of a failure when he came to be Minister of Health. He spent so much money on reforming the health system, it's, uh, it's still not working properly. Yeah, well, it's all of them. And, and, and when I write to them, and I have, they say we can't get involved because it's being litigated. Well, of course they can, because they can turn off the tap that's paying the legal fees. Now, I can tell you in that particular case, it could have been resolved way back in 2015 and it wouldn't have cost, it wouldn't have cost 20,000. It would have cost less than 20,000. Yep. And now we're getting close to three quarters of a million. I can tell you the figure is probably closer to a million because they've stopped providing figures. I know because I see the, um, the litigation because I see a lot of it. Um, and they're either not, the lawyers, lawyers either aren't charging now or the ministry is hiding the money through some other, um, Avenue because they know that I'm consistently updating my official information act requests. Yeah, of course. The last time I saw you, we were in your office on Alexander Street. Remember that day? Yep. That's the last time I saw you. Are you still on Alexander Street? Yep. Yeah, I haven't gone anywhere. And in fact, what there was a significant event that happened last year on the 1st of August 2022 when Culture Safe got liquidated by a group of employers and their corporate lawyers had decided they didn't like me around, so they thought they would um, get rid of me. And sadly for them, <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. And, and, and the fact that I stayed in the same offices and I never stopped representing clients, I think, um, caused a number of people to yeah. be concerned. And, and right now, Bruce, I'm... Um, my legal team are preparing a case for the um, Court of Appeal and I can assure anybody listening to this show that all the litigation that was found against me will be turned over. We've already turned over some of it through the Employment Court. I've, yep. got, I've got five separate cases at the Employment yep. Court. The, so what, what's happened now is that... that it's it's kind of got to the point where they failed, and now it's my turn. Yep. And and of course, when I was in your office, we heard the laughter of Julie Hardacre. How's your relations with Julie Hardacre these days? Do you, do you get on well with her now? Well, I think Bruce that both of us know how to act professionally. So 
we, we, we share an office on the same yes, floor. Yes, we heard the laughing that day when I was with you. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. so like I, I don't bear anybody any animosity. Well, there's a couple that I do, but... That's another story, but but with Julie, she's um, she was the mayor of Hamilton City when I got dismissed, and I believe she played a role in that. But that's kind of history. And am I still fighting Hamilton hey. City Council over that? Yes, I am. Yep. Do I blame or take anything out with Julie? No, I don't. We are we are we are people that share. Um, office space on the same floor we treat each other in a professional manner and um i tend to be like that with everybody apart from people that are coming after me at the time and i can assure you that using peaceful methods and and litigation i'm learning now what, what i've what i've been able to do over the last since october last year in particular i've got some of the best legal brains in the land on my side nobody knows who they are nobody's gonna know who they are because they otherwise they'll be attacked so um you know i'm in a really happy space yeah. and and i'm really confident that 2023 is going to be a big year Will you return in the future to do another show with Free FM? Will you come back and join join the crew here at Free FM? Because you were so popular doing those programs. Are you going to come back and join us? Well, I'd love to come back, Bruce. The reason I stopped doing this show was simply because I, I'm only one person and I'm, I'm stretched that far at present. Like, I, I've never had less... And Culture Safe's never had less than a hundred clients at any one time. Yeah. So we'll talk about mediations and I've done I used pre COVID I was doing a hundred a year. Now there's nobody in this land that does that. This coming week I've got a mediation in Hamilton for tomorrow. On Tuesday I've got a mediation in person in Dunedin. And on Wednesday I've got an employment court case in Auckland. On Thursday, I've got a mediation in Hamilton. On Friday, I've got a mediation in Tauranga. Keep, keep taking your medication, Alan. <laughs> well, today's Sunday, so that gets you off the hook, at least for one day of a week. <laughs> well, and, and I hate to say this because I realise for a lot of people, um, Sunday's got a, a day of rest. Yeah, yeah, and, and anybody with a religious um, beliefs would think you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. I can tell both of you that Sunday is my busiest day because I, I, I have to f- try to complete work from the previous week and I've got to set myself up for the next week. So I, on a Sunday, I probably never work less than probably 15 hours. I was in the office at 7.30 this morning. I won't leave till, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock tonight. Well, just to understand how it can be so chocker with obligations what happens when you leave the studio i go back and i've got a uh, i do a live show on um facebook and linkedin where um a panel of three of us talk about workplace bullying and the, and what's going on that tends to be extremely controversial because we say things that could get us sued, which is what I haven't done today. <laughs> um, um, so we do that. That's only half an hour. 
then I just work on client cases. I will probably have Zoom meetings or telephone calls with at least six clients. And then I'll um, make sure that I complete and file documents in probably four or five or six cases. Do you recommend this work style? No, I don't. And um, I've, I've said to a number of people, and, and when I've talked to um, employment court judges and others when I, I've been on the receiving end, and I say to them, do you think that I actually would be doing this by choice? I only do it because nobody else would do it. And I know the needs there. The fact that we have got never less than 100 clients, we've got nearly 29,000 people following us on social media, which is significant for an organisation that's only fronted by one person. And the only reason I'm up front, and people often say, well, can't somebody? Can't you get somebody else to do what you do? And I can tell you, no, I can't, because as an employer, I have a legal responsibility to keep employees safe. It's not safe to send them into the places I go because it's, it's extremely dangerous, vicarious trauma from our clients. Because if you see the impact on some of our clients, and particularly the ones that are suicidal or have attempted suicide, I wouldn't expect anybody to to be dealing with that in the front line where you're up against employers and lawyers that are targeting your client's vulnerability. They target them. And, of course, Mel and I know that you call a spade a spade. You're un-PC. Um, oh, I don't know whether to be offended or not offended, <laughs> but, 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 but you're right. And I, I can tell you one, one of the things, I, like, I don't get offended easy unless it's somebody that is a friend of mine, but Dr. Gary Namey, the um, co-director of the American Workplace Bullying Institute, and Dr. Gary Namey is probably the world's leading expert on workplace bullying right now. Now, he said one day, and I spoke in addition, the same year I went to um, to the UK to um, speak at an ACAS conference, the following month I went to America, to San Francisco, and to, to be at a all-stars um, conference of the Workplace Bullying University. Now, it was a real honour to be invited there. It's the only person from Australasia amongst the most prominent um, workplace bullying experts and authors and from the UK and Canada. But in, in the um, conference um, program, I was described as a advocate slash activist. And I was actually offended <laughs> by the word activist. Which is, gets back to your point, Bruce. Yeah. Um, do I call a spade a spade? And then I realised that I am actually an activist. And, and like I've been known to say to judges, you can put me in jail, but you'll never stop me talking out when we've got suicidal bullet clients. I'm not going to stop. You can say whatever you like. You can put me in jail. I'm not going to. So I think I am an activist and I think, Bruce, yep. getting back to your original point here, I think I sometimes am not politically correct. Another a man with a 
burden upon his shoulders. Thank you, Alan, for joining yeah, us. Yeah, just one more question. When you're in America, did Donald Trump come up? Because I see him as the biggest workplace bully in the world. Um, Gary Namey, who is actually a personal friend I've met a number of times, he could not stand um, Donald Trump and, and did he felt what you thought, Bruce. He, one of the biggest bullies in existence. Alan, you look after yourself for the rest of the day. Get home tonight, early as possible. We want to talk to you again because you've, you've got more points of view to make. We can't do this in one radio show. You've got to come back and join us another day. Yeah, happy to do so, Bruce. And anyway, I'll let, you get, I'll let you get to your office. You've got Zoom meetings. You've, please get out of your office <laughs> before, before sundown. Good, thanks. Alan Hulse at 3FM 89.0. They call themselves a flock of seagulls. I ran. Thank you to Alan Hulse. Coming up before 2 o'clock, we'll be speaking to Trevor for his comments on the week. Mill. we are going to where? Coromandel. Leanne and Gavin Jeffcoat have set up Hike and Bike Coromandel as a tourist venture. Oh, the weather's wreaked havoc with that, I suppose. Has it, Leanne? Absolutely. Um, we, prior to Christmas, 
we probably had already cancelled uh, more tours than we ever had in any other, other of the other four years we've been doing this. Um, and then once you got to January, it even got worse. So almost unbelievable, really. How did you and Gavin get started in this tourist venture? Yeah, okay. Gavin's family um, owns 20 acres here in Colville. And they've got um, a long association with the peninsula. That's it. Sort of around about 1870, they first immigrated here um, from England, looking for a better life, as were as did many others by the sounds of it. Um, and settled, bought this 20 acres here in Colville. Um, the house we live in, I think that was moved on later. Um, but yeah, it's passed through the Jeffcoat family and we were lucky to buy it off Gavin's dad in 2015. What's the latest on the road into Coromandel? We see big slips happen in that area due to um, Cyclone Gabrielle. So how's the state of the road now? Is it getting open or is it one way and open to light traffic? Okay, so from, from 10 to Coromandel Town, um, that's pretty much back to normal, um, apart from some sort of slumping in the areas where it may be down to one lane. Um, across to Wiriang is fine. It's just down the other side and towards Wokamata where there's some issues that um, I think there's stock bows and random closures throughout the day because it's quite a major slip. So combined with the effects of COVID over the last couple of years, it's leading to neglect uh, by tourists of the peninsula. Is there anything to support that? Sorry? The so the tourists are ignoring the Coromandels because they've heard of the COVID problems, then they were hearing about Cyclone Gabriel, and uh, they might be sort of deterred from coming your way. Uh, yeah, we've had... Um we were, just, we were just seeing a lot of our international customers coming back, bearing in mind that pre-COVID that was 80% of our business. We had comments from some people who had bookings March, April, ringing to say that they were not even going to come to New Zealand. They, they just didn't want to have a holiday sort of working around unknowns of weather and closures and all those sort of disruptions when they're in a strange country for them. So it has a flow-on effect, and you feel that? Oh, absolutely. Um, for us, I mean, I mean, we know what we've refunded and cancelled and, and, and the figures around that, but what we don't know is sort of the people that would ring up, come into town, ring us a day or two ahead and make bookings. Um, we know we were tracking pretty well in January until the first storm hit, um, but, yeah, it's really, it's really, you know, there's just huge holes. Basically, we, we've had... I think January was 10 days where we cancelled trips and then all of February was a washout. So, yeah, it's a yeah. huge, huge We hope huge that hole. things will look up. We hope, Leanne, for you and Gavin. We wish you well and your community the same. And Thank we you. hope that you get many tourists who want to venture on bicycles using the yes. facility of the old roads that, that you've drawn their attention to. That would be very popular. That's right. That's right. We do do um, we do do a northern Coromandel uh, hiking and biking option where where people can walk. Um, was was the coastal walkway? Unfortunately, that's out of action. So we've come up with a plan B, um, and it's a hike up sort of around the, the tip of the Coromandel, and then a bike back on the lovely Port Jackson Road 
um, at, at their own pace, um, head back in the afternoon and uh, finish early evening, head back to Coromandel Town for somewhere to stay and something to eat. So Adapting really to the adverse weather and the damage to the roading, the infrastructure. But nevertheless, Leanne and Gavin Jeffcoat carrying on with Hike and Bike Coromandel. Wish you well. And I, and I hope you still get some customers during the autumn because um, I think it's going to be a very warm autumn. Yeah, yeah, it's feeling that way already. Um, you know, we're, we're back into those mid-twenties figures, uh, you know, for the, for the temperature throughout the day. Uh, very still days and, and cooler nights, so we, we, we might get that. Maybe we'll get that Indian summer after all. Hey, maybe it's time to go fishing in the Coromandel. Yes, yes, there's always plenty of snapper, so you're never, you know, pretty pretty unlucky if you miss out on a feed, that's for sure. And nothing wrong with a bit of cycling at the same time. Yeah, let's go for it. Um, we should be in the Coromandel today, Mel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's probably classy out there at the moment. So, yeah, but hey, spot. G- good on you. Hey, thank you, and uh, giving us time here at, uh, on a Sunday afternoon where everybody is so busy working. It's all good. I'm off out into the garden. Oh, we'll let you we'll let you get back out in the garden with all the weeds. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> See you okay. later. Bye bye. That was Leanne Jeffcoat of Cape Colville. Yeah, no, I used to hear, hear on the old weather forecast Cape Colville and used to blow a storm there when you listened in the middle of the night to all those old um weather forecasts on na- my old national programme. Trevor is next. an iconic theme from the 50s that of course is Dragnet and last week uh, Trevor asked me to find a particular theme and we found it this week yes the theme to that iconic television series The Untouchables this is Nelson Riddle and his orchestra Robert Stack Afternoon, Trevor. Afternoon. How are we? Not too bad. It's gone by. Uh, Because looking out my window and over my balcony into the wide world outside, Tristram Street in the centre of it all, they've built a large hump where the pedestrian crossing is now in place. Now, I saw an ambulance tearing along there to the hospital. It zoomed over the hump with the lights flashing sirens. And it got me thinking, it may not apply to that particular ambulance because there could be something else wrong with them other than a spinal injury. If a person has a spinal injury due to a car crash, you've got to be very careful with them. You yeah. can't move them, you can't jerk them or whatever. It's a one, two, three lift situation. And if they go into hospital, and of course they could have other injuries that require urgent medical t- uh, treatment to save their lives, and no matter how slow you go over those humps or jutter bars, there is a jolt. Yes. 
and that could paralyse that patient for yep. life. That happens when I come in by bus from where I live in through uh, Claudelands, that corner in, in Claudelands, uh, just around from the dairy. There is a speed hump there yeah. uh, next door to the uh, dumpling shop. You know the corner I mean. I do. There's a speed hump, and you go over it, the bus goes over it. I don't know how the brakes and the wheels on that particular bus or buses feel, but this city council, if I read right, has got an obsession with putting speed humps all oh, over yeah. the city. And who's paying for it? Us rate payers. And, of course, they've got speed humps outside Burger King, outside the warehouse. It's... It's like the road cones. I know. I mean, where they, where's the roundabout? They've got them there, like particularly bad ones in the, in the corner intersection of Tristram and Ross Trevor Street. Anybody with a quarter of a brain <laughs> would naturally drive along and slow down at a roundabout to give way to any traffic coming on the right-hand side. Yep, they need a judge bar to, to, to remind them, unless they've got a death wish. I've got some good news for you this week, too. The lights are on and... Um in Hill Street last night when I walked out of here last night, the lights are back on after six weeks. So oh, somebody paid the power bill, didn't and, they? And <laughs> uh, are, they, are they back on in Tristram Street? Well, they probably are. Well, it seems a bit lighter, brighter now that... They, well, they've got a new light in the middle of the street now <laughs> where the crossing is. Uh, yeah, but no, no. Uh, I, I was just thinking when I saw that ambulance tearing over that hump at breakneck speed. Yeah, no, and um, the city council announced the uh, $6 million in in the uh, in arrears at the moment, so yeah, where's all the money, money going? Well, it's exactly, the, the arrears of $6 million, as you say, and they're spending money like it's going out of fashion, as if they've got money to spare. I mean, I can't understand essential spending, but not unessential spending. This is what gets up my work. And anything else that's been worrying you this week? Oh, I think uh, something you mentioned the other week about the sensor forms. Yes. I think they overkill with the information requirements, and in some ways you get, feel as though you're repeating yourself as you go through the filling out the forms. Do you get that? Yeah, I, I do, because at the end they said, put your phone number down, I just put NA. No, I'm not going to give them any. Then my phone number, you, you don't know where your information is going. It's Well, uh, well it's, it's a point, too. It's, it's going to somebody you don't know if, if you can trust them. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a bad time to have a census uh, anyway because there's a displacement of housing around the country. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of people displaced. They could be anywhere. How are they going to get their forms? Mm-hmm. Well, before we do go, Earl Stanley Gardner wrote a series of books. He was a judge himself, Earl Stanley Gardner. He wrote a series of novels called Perry Mason. You remember that series? Oh, with I Raymond well, Burr. Yeah, I quite like that one. Yeah. And, of course, it starred Raymond Burr as the attorney who never lost a case. And Perry Mason played that, um, played that uh, iconic... This was pre-Ironside, of course, and, of course, he went on to, before he died. He was still, he was doing the production of um, Perry Mason, but he was very seriously ill. He died um, soon after the late last Perry Mason uh, television movie. Um, we remember that iconic theme to Perry Mason as we leave you for the rest of the day. Yeah, I used to watch Perry Mason in front of the telly with fish and chips. Remember those days, Malcolm? <laughs> it's three to two. We'll leave you with a theme from Perry Mason.
just before I go, just a bit of a warning there. Before I came into town today, there was a guy on a bicycle with no helmet on uh, travelling up and down Cameron Road and he was looking at houses. So I hope nothing has happened in Cameron Road today. This guy on the bicycle, if he is still there, ring the police if you are worried about your security. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.